Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, and with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the comics released on the 10th of April 2019. But first, we got to talk about a little movie out there. Came out this weekend. Maybe you guys heard of it. It's called Shazam. Uh, Zach and I have seen this movie, and we have been pestering Vince to go see it. Uh, Vince, do you think you'll wind up seeing it in the theater, or what? Uh, this this year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Uh, why not? I just, I don't go to movies. Why? This isn't material for the show. You know this about me. <laughs> I just don't go to the theater, okay? I, I'm trying to get you to be guilted by our fan base into going to the movies. We don't have fans, so we Some, have one fan. <laughs> I was going to say, somewhere a fan who we're going to talk about later in the show is crying because you don't acknowledge <laughs> his personhood. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I guess we need to make another podcast called DCing at the movies. I guess so, uh, yeah. <laughs> DC3ing at the movies. Or DCU at the movies. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um so a- anyway, Vince, the, the the short answer here is that you should see Shazam in the movies because it is um, unbelievably great. Uh That's what I've heard. Zach, give us your your like your 1 minute spoiler-free review of the movie? Um, Well, first of all, I don't think anything more needs to be said than um, CBR-exclusive headline, Zachary Levi Shazam should be the face of the DCEU. Um, (laughs) Nothing goes harder than that. Um, One-minute review. Um, Shazam is funny and sweet and heartwarming and... Um, the best Superman movie. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Um, I will say that Shazam is surprisingly touching in parts, uh, legitimately funny in others. I think it had some of the best comic book action sequences we've ever seen in a DC film. Uh, and the, it's pretty easy to say since a lot of the DC action sequences we've gotten have been pretty terrible. But the, these had there were some particularly great ones in there. Um, and I'll say that this is one of the few comic book movies to take a um, to take a bit of the comic book mythology that is. How can I say this? I'm trying to say this without it, without reverting into spoiler territory here. I guess I feel like oftentimes when films are made of, of comics, they, they take the most conservative approach to the source material where they won't do anything that's like a... Like, you, you're never going to see an electric blue Superman suit movie, right? They're, they're, they're going to take, like, the most standard version of each character. And there are a couple of choices that were made here that are not the most standard Shazam choices, and yet they worked really, really well in the film. I have a take on that that is maybe a mild pushback, but not really. Okay. Um, I think that, and I'm again, I don't want to get too much into spoiler territory. So if you are like concerned about spoilers at all, you should maybe like tune out for a minute or two. Um, but I think that Shazam is the latest example and probably just the proof that 
at this point, comics are just movie generators, and it is now more likely that any comic book film is going to primarily draw on like the last 10 years worth of stories. Um, because we've seen that with Shazam. We've seen it with Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, spider verse. Um, I'm trying to think even Aquaman. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Really Aquaman. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really where we are now. Yeah, I actually think that this and Captain Marvel coming out within a month of each other, besides just being, um, you know, funny because of the name connection, I think it's they're actually both really instructive to what you're talking about, Zach, because I think, like, so for instance, my dad had stopped reading Superman comics by the time he was taking me to see Superman movies, but he but he recognized everything in those movies, because it was presenting the most classic version of Superman. Same thing with with Batman or or sort of you know Spider Man, even to a certain degree, like the first couple of X Men movies, uh, or or the first you know or Iron Man, Captain America, those sort of those those early on introductions into a cinematic universe took like the the most sort of the most universal version of the characters. And mm-hmm. if you told somebody like 15 years ago, there's going to be a Captain Marvel movie, the Marvel Captain Marvel, they would not recognize the movie that we, that we just watched. Right. Um, similarly, if you told somebody that they're making a Shazam movie 15 years ago, they wouldn't recognize the movie we just watched. Mm-hmm. It's really, like you said, it's really, they're, they're, it's, we're adapting very modern tales right now. Yes. Not to say that we like won't have films that still draw from older material, but there's just so much more synergy now between the comics and the and the films, and it really does feel like at this point that the the comics exist to inspire the films, which are clearly the the money makers here. Yeah, I don't I don't love that in general. But I think that this is an example of it working really well. Yeah. Um, I think just about everybody in the cast was very, very good. Uh, yeah, I don't think that there was really a bad performance. I think, um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit off air about I, I had similar villain problems as I did with Wonder Woman. Um, not that Mark Strong did a poor job. Um it was just the least interesting part of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got, it, I got major Jumanji vibes when they were going through the mall. <laughs> it reminded me so much of that. Uh, the, the original Jumanji. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, yeah. Mark Strong is good as Savannah, but there's really, the reason Savannah exists is to get you to a place where Captain Marvel is do or I keep saying that, or where Shazam is doing stuff. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he really doesn't have much to do aside from get Shazam to be Shazam. Right, right. And I uh, you obviously you needed that catalyst and, and a lot of the best beats in the film couldn't have happened without that antagonist figure but it was also 
so fun when there was no conflict. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that Savannah makes the most sense as a first villain if you're not going to go Black Adam. Because the other sort of Shazam villains are like Mr. Mind is a weird concept to, to do in a film, especially with sort of no backstory yeah. to it. Uh, I think if you went with the Monster Society of Evil, that would be very hard to pull off in as succinct a way as they did with with Savannah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did want to say. Uh, I'm shocked, Zach, that we're like five minutes into this conversation and we haven't mentioned uh, Lionel Luthor is Savannah's yes. father. Is Savannah's father, S- same character. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he essentially Lionel Luthor from Smallville plays himself in the in this film. Uh, it's like the yeah. first when, when when that character appeared on screen, I was like, I can't wait to talk to Zach about this. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, that was fun. Um. um I want to say, like, so this more or less adapts the new 52 Superman's uh, uh, Captain, I keep saying Captain Marvel, Shazam story in sort of the broad strokes, not in terms of like, I don't think there's an actual story from the new 52 that's adapts, but Billy is of a, a foster oh, child. What I would almost argue that it straight up adapts the new 52 incarnation, just minus Black Adam. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. I'll give you that. But I was gonna say, like it, you know, I think that the kids they got to play Billy's foster siblings were perfect, the best, like really wonderfully cast. Down... Also, the parents, the yes. foster oh, parents God. as well. I, I, I am very content to be a Salvatore, but if I'm not a Salvatore. I want to be one of those kids because those parents yeah. seem dope. Um, but yeah, just you know, especially Darla. The little girl playing Darla was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, a movie that is, I think a lot of times the setting in a DC Universe film only matters if it's a fake setting, like Metropolis or Gotham City. But I thought this did a really nice job of sort of giving a, a vibe of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. You ever been to Philadelphia, Zach? I have not. No. Okay, I I felt it was it was relatively true to Philadelphia, um, as much um, as a film could be. Um, again, kind of going back to the the story that this draws from heavily, even down to the Christmas setting, which was an interesting choice to keep, but I I liked it. It was a nice bit of set dressing. What what did you think about that? Yeah, I I thought I think it also. Any story about family is enhanced by throwing a holiday in there. Mm-hmm. So I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, I did want to say that the one bit that I think I think is brand new for the film is b- the sort of the, the way that Billy becomes a foster kid. Yeah, and I don't want to say too I, much about this. I don't either. But finish what you have to say, and then I have a small thing to say about it. What I was going to say, though, is I, I felt that was a really surprising way to take it. And it was really, I, I thought it was very moving, the sort of the resolution of that. It was. Again, I'm um, trying not to say too much here for those that don't want it to be spoiled. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but when it was initially, when we saw it happen at the beginning of the film... 
I was scratching my head a lot because I, I was trying to do the mental gymnastics that would make that situation make sense. And then the film makes it make sense for you. Exactly. They do later. So, yes. yeah, I, I did want to say that. Like, at first, I was very much just, oh, this does not – this is weird. Why right. would you do – this is Why would this have happened? Yes, this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And under what circumstances? But then it did. It really worked. Um, yeah. So it also I, did. And this is this is for anybody who had Brian compares it to Rashomon on your bingo card today. Uh, congratulations! <laughs> but th- there's the scene we're talking about is shown twice. Once from Billy's perspective, and once from another character's perspective. And I don't know if you noticed this, Zach. I noticed it because I felt like I, I'm. I'm again. It, this is not a spoiler, but if you're worried about spoilers, skip ahead thirty seconds here, a minute, whatever. Um, the scene is shown from the perspective of Billy, and then the perspective of his mom. And I felt like the way the mom was responding to Billy is how, when I am not on a good parent day, how I respond to my kids. Like, I felt it was a very real, exhausted parent portrayal. And I was sort of taken aback by how real it felt. And it's weird that there's something that real in the middle of the Shazam movie. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. There are a lot of very, very real moments. Yes. Yes. Which, again, I don't think... I certainly wasn't expecting... Um, but yeah, I mean, just, I I can't get over how much I enjoyed the movie. Same. Um, and you know, this is kind of a a streak of films here. I mean, I, I guess starting with Wonder Woman, you can mostly skip Justice League, although (laughs) that, that film had problems, but it wasn't the worst. Sure. I, I think looking back on it and then Aquaman was not a great film, but it was a lot more enjoyable than I expected it to be. And I, I find myself, you know, several months after its release kind of thinking fondly on it in a weird way. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the DC film franchise worlds of DC, right. Isn't that what's called now? Yeah. Something. Yeah. I think that's right. It's in a really surprisingly good place. Yes. Yes. Um, it's really weird that we're going to jump back into Suicide Squad now. Uh, both in like the Suicide Squad 2 movie, but also in the Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey movie. Which is actually the next thing, if you don't count the Joker. Yes. Um, you got to count the Joker, dang it. Nope. <laughs> Zach, you keep... Zach I will only count him if this. he's Jared Leto. Here's the question, Vince. And if you can answer this definitively for me, I'll count the Joker. Are you ready? Yeah. Wait, wait, what's Joker's name again? What Fleck? Albert Fleck. Albert Fleck? Okay. Is Albert Fleck damaged? <laughs> no, he's freaking then it twisted. doesn't count. doesn't count, then. doesn't count. You know what, though? You know what's going to happen? <laughs> what's what that? What could happen? We're going to find out. Zack Snyder is going to tell us in a tweet that this is the real Joker and Jared Leto is like Dick Grayson or Jason Todd and it actually is in continuity. Why are you giving him these ideas? He already has them. That's true. 
He definitely already has these ideas. He's he is gonna be like J.K. Rowling the DCEU for the next <laughs> decade. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, this movie gets my heartiest endorsement, and we have to say too, the movie ends like not the credits, which we'll talk about in a second. The movie ends on an amazing joke. So good. <laughs> like I, I legitimately did not see coming, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's, that's great!" And then the credits—I don't want to again. I don't want to say too much, but the credits are animated, and they are amazing. Maybe you said it was your favorite part of the movie. Possibly, it might have been my favorite part of the movie. It was so good. Um, yeah, set to to. One of my probably top five favorite songs of all time, I Don't Want to Grow Up by Tom Waits, but the Ramones version, which again was like a perfect choice. Um, and yeah, just so good. Vince, hearing us gush about this, does it sound like a movie you would enjoy? Uh, I wasn't listening. What? <laughs> Thanks, pal. He didn't want to be spoiled. Yeah, yeah, I that. Really blame him. I just want to share this joy with you. I just I'm, want to share this joy with you. No no greater joy than being on this podcast. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to like pay somebody to put a sign outside your work that says, This Way for Free Packers Tickets. And it's just like a trail <laughs> of, of breadcrumbs that leads you into a movie theater. And they lock the door behind you <laughs> and make you watch Shazam. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you don't even want to go to Lambeau, particularly. <laughs> right? To watch Shazam? Yeah. No, to watch, like, like, would that entice you? Would a sign for free Packers tickets entice you to follow Trail of Breadcrumbs? I don't really like leaving my house, to be honest. Okay. I... All right, what's something I can, I can say? Um, uh, come meet Father John Misty this way. <laughs> Jesus. You make me sound like such an idiot. No, I don't. <laughs> and it, it's all true. You wouldn't want to meet Father John Misty? Carly Rae Jepsen kissing booth. There we go. There it is. Hey, hey, it's not for kissing. It's not <laughs> sexual. Oh. It's not sexual between me and... And him. <clears throat> it's an it's a, it's a admiration. We did you get you... your tickets yet? Yeah, of course I did. He's you? leaving his house. You? No. <laughs> I guess I'm the only Carly Stan on this uh, on this podcast. Uh, recent podcast guest Matthew Malikov got tickets for the Boston show. Nice. Carly Bros. Yeah. I'm an adult, so I didn't do that. But you know, you guys, okay, you guys yeah, are fun. Yeah, you guys are fun. Very funny. I'm yeah. just kidding. Very have... good. I can name one Carly Rae Jepsen song, so yeah. Um, is it the one with Al City? <laughs> I don't know what that means. No, of course it's not. <laughs> uh, I just think it's funny that I don't know. It, it's like there was "Call Me Maybe," and then there was that, and I, I just oh, I I. Uh... I'm thinking of like a hundred mean things I could say about Weezer right now, but I'm just gonna <laughs> stow I'm just gonna stow that. 
That's we- low-hanging fruit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not only that, Weezer had a surprisingly good Tiny Desk concert last week. So. Mm. Oh, interesting. Look, uh, did, they they, did they play somebody else's songs during it? Is that no, why it they, was... They, they started with a song that has never officially been released that was uh, written for the space rock opera that became Pinkerton. Really? <laughs> yes. Because I thought that he had released all of those through well, he, his, he, he, uh, did, he did, his home but, recording ones. But not like Weezer never – it was ever on a Weezer album, I mean. You know what uh, I mean? Like, okay, okay. So, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. What song was it? Long Time oh, Sunshine. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, it is. So they did Long Time Sunshine. <sighs> hang on a second. But 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 welcome to Weezer Chat. I'm Brian. With me as always is Zach and Vince. Um, I I have a I just a side note. I have a a version of I I made my own songs from the black hole many oh, years ago. And me too. Keep it. Me too. We'll okay. have to compare notes one day. Um. But anyway, so they started with Long Time Sunshine. <sighs> then they did a song from the new album, which I did not like when I heard the album version, but I really liked the acoustic version they did. It's called Living in L.A. Um. Then they did Across the Sea, which is my personal favorite Weezer song. Oh, uh, my. I Ooh. It might. Oh, it's definitely my favorite on, on Pinkerton? Pinkerton, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and it's then, probably my favorite in general. Yeah. And, but... then, and then they did another new one, uh, High as a Kite, which is okay. Okay. But like two oh, of the f- I'm going to have to check that out. Okay. Yes, you are. It's quite good. Um, anyway, uh, this has been Weezer Chat. Good night. Uh, any other Shazam's thoughts, Zach? Um, I am just very satisfied with it. I'm glad it seems to be doing well. It definitely has done really well critically. Um, and it seems that most people think that the box office take is, is enough to, it, it's good enough, especially because it was apparently a pretty cheap movie to make relatively, yeah. um, com- compared to some of their other films. So there's already talk of a sequel, which I am 100% in for. Um, you know what I was thinking about last night? What were you thinking about, Zach? Now, now that we have a really good Shazam, I, I don't want this anytime soon, but like five or six years from now, maybe longer. I don't know. We've got a really good Shazam. We have a good Wonder Woman. We have a good Aquaman. We have a Flash and a Cyborg. At this point, with the right creative team, I would really probably enjoy a Flashpoint movie. Wow. That's a bold take. (laughs) Probably not one you thought you'd hear from me. No, no, not at all. Um... Yeah, you're not wrong. I am. I am forever interested to see how DC spins the three successful spinoffs without a successful Justice League movie. They're the new Trinity, man. I'm here for it. I just feel like they're gonna they're gonna take the wrong lessons from this, as DC often does. Well, that's that's probably true. Yeah. What what do you think is the wrong lesson to take from this? Um, I think that there's an argument to be made that, like, Shazam is a character because he's a little kid at heart. 
that you can do humor really easily with him. But I don't want to see all the movies become bwahaha movies. Because I think that's really hard to do well. Um, I also think that this is a movie that is surprisingly self-referential to the rest of the DCEU. And I don't know if that would work again either. Why do you say that? Because I feel like this was this references Batman and Superman and Aquaman and Wonder Woman to like various degrees throughout the movie. And it references them just enough that you could change everything about them and the references still work. But if they if they tried to go just a little bit deeper with the references, they would they would start running into continuity problems. In some cases, but not necessarily with the pieces that are already working. No, like you could you could easily have Shazam and and Wonder Woman and Aquaman in a room together. Yes, and for that matter, Flash and and Cyborg. It's it's the it's Superman and Batman that are a problem. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's anything. I guess the only tether to Justice League slash Batman v Superman that's that remains is that one scene from the beginning of Wonder Woman, right? Like, does mm-hmm. Aqu- Aquaman references the events of Justice League, but not in any concrete way, right? I think so. I really don't remember. So you, um... could, you, you could basically start. You could basically just ignore those those movies. Yeah, which is what I think they're going to pretty much do moving forward. Yeah. I mean, we'll see like what they're doing with the Batman stuff. But oh, I for, oh, I, I forgot to mention this last week. I got hard April Fools last week um, <laughs> because it was late in the day, and I saw a thing that looked you got very hard? official. What? Yes, I did. I really did when I saw this. <laughs> I really did. Um, I was out to dinner. I had had. My hammer pulls you off. I I'd had precisely <laughs> one beer, so someone should have already called nine one one. That's true. Um, and my friend showed me a news article that said that Michael B. Jordan was confirmed as the new Superman, and I lost it. And then I was like, I I realized about thirty seconds later that it was April Fool's Day, and then sure enough, I I there was a a Rick roll. It wasn't. A, it was like. At the end, yeah, it it, it really hurt me. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think Michael B. Jordan could play Superman in any context, but couldn't you just see a multiversity movie? Yes. You know, I can, and that would be amazing. I'm sorry, you got April Fooled, buddy. Oh, I thought I thought I was, I I thought I was beyond that, but. I was impaired. <laughs> um, so, Vince, will you? What will it take for you to see this movie? Is it? Is it HBO? Is it? Will you rent it on demand? What will it take to get you to see this movie? Why? Why are you? I have nothing against the movie. I. But when can we expect to talk to you about it? Probably never, because the next the next thing will come along and. 
If you see the Joker before Shazam, I won't the podcast. I can promise you, I won't. Oh, you'll see the Joker. You're gonna be front, front and center for the Joker <laughs> with an oversized lollipop and your little your hey. little suit with shorts, and <laughs> just sitting there. <laughs> Alfred Fleck. Alfred get... Fleck. What What if I told you guys that? You are the freaking Joker. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. How, how'd you know? <laughs> because I've known you for years now. <laughs> no, I don't know. Here's what's gonna happen. Uh, if I have insomnia some night, six, eight months from now, and I happen to notice that Shazam is on a streaming service, let's say. DC Universe or HBO Go or whatever. I can't sleep. I may say, eh, I'll put Shazam on. I just don't go out of my way to watch superhero movies. Are you anymore. this much of a grump about about Star Wars now? Oh, no. No, baby. That's Star Wars. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I like my comics in comic book form. Um... Star Wars is Star Wars. You know, Star Wars is something else entirely. But it's and it's not that I don't like superhero movies, but like nothing nothing can get me to think that a Shazam movie will ever be better than reading a good Shazam comic, you know? I and, I would argue that this movie was better than the comic it was based on. I was just going to say this is the best Shazam comic of the 21st century. It is not a comic, though. It's a movie. But and it's better than... It's better than any Shazam story of the 21st century. I like reading a comic, though. <laughs> like, I would argue that this is both... And again, I'm, I know, you're going to say it's a comic. I, I, I respect that position. What I will say, though, is I think this is both... There, there is an argument to be made that this is the most effective... Effective, not best. Most effective superhero film ever made because i think it gives oh. because i think it gives a a tangible sense because of it being told with the eyes of a kid it feels the most superhero-y like there there is no pretense about this being anything other than a superhero movie does that make sense sure i uh, and i would argue that because of that it's one of the most effective comic book movies ever made. Great. I mean, it's no Spider-Verse. I still haven't seen that. Yell at me for that. I know. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, well. Th- that is possibly going to be remedied this week. It's, it's, you need, it's, it's, it's the best. It's better than everything. <laughs> um, Multiversity Manga Club co-hosts um, Walter and Emily I saw that they watched it uh, last night because they were tweeting about it. And Emily said that um, all superhero movies should be animated. And that, that is the true take. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why I don't go out of my way to see these things. Like these things. Well, I don't, I don't, I mean, I like it guys. I read like 10 comics a day, right? (laughs) I love, I love a comic. I want to read a comic. I don't necessarily want to see a, a superhero movie. I don't like obviously if if there was if it was a binary choice, I would choose the same thing you're choosing. But 
But I understand that it's not. I just, I have all these, yeah. Yeah. I just don't, like I said, I'm not going out of my way for almost any comic movie. Okay. I appreciate that position, even if you're going to regret it one day when you say, I wish I could have shared this joy with Brian and Zach. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Look, one day we're all going to be dead, and then this is going to matter, so... Man, can we get on? Can we get on with that idea? Well, let's get on with with this idea. So, uh, we're going to switch to talking about Vince's precious comic books now. Um... No, all of our precious comic books. So, uh, a a a friend. They're not my precious comic books. <laughs> well, you you don't know what I'm transitioning to yet, so it might be your precious comic book. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, a a friend of ours. Uh, his name is Rich. He uh, he's the only person to give a shit about us in New York City <laughs> at New York <laughs> Comic Con. <laughs> he was very excited to meet us. I still don't really know why. Uh, he was lovely. We are not, but you know. So, uh, Rich reached out to us on Twitter. And asked us to come up with our favorite Batman story. He said, like, not a run, but a single story arc that we would point to as the best Batman story for each of us. And so, Vince, because Zach and I did all the talking for the first half hour of the show, why don't you start us off? What is what is the best Batman story in your estimation? Um, well, it's not it's not the best Batman story. It's my favorite, right? Sure. Um, so I just read a thousand issues of detective comics, essentially. Um, so he's the expert, he's the authority and no, and by far the most enjoyable storyline out of any of them was nightfall for me. And I think like, is that the best Batman story? Probably not. Like, in my mind, the best Batman story, anything you could say kind of sounds like a cliche, right? Like, it's the, you could, it's you the, could... the one you read along the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. You could say year one, but that's like way too obvious. You could say Dark Knight Returns, but that's what everyone says, you know. Yeah, well, also, don't say things that Zach and I might say. <laughs> but you do I yeah, know what you're you saying. Get, you you what get what saying. I'm saying. Like yes. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to run through the whole the whole bit. But yeah. like, as far as like pure enjoyability mixed with all of the things that make Batman Batman, I think Nightfall has it all. And one of the things that I didn't realize about Nightfall because it was my first time reading. You know, I had read probably an issue here and there. Like I knew the the general beats of the story. But I had never read the whole thing. And I read the entire thing for this project I was doing. And what really amazed me was how much how much new Batman lore, uh, side characters, um, Bat family members popped up during that storyline. Like initially popped up, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I can't remember, like, exactly where Cass Kane came in, you know, but... But she's a part of that. Well, now I'm trying to think. was Or was that after? I don't know. All I know is there were a lot of elements of Batman that we know today that, that, that you know, that we've dealt with a lot in post-New 52 landscape 
that started back then. And not only like characters and places and things, but essential themes of Batman, you know, um, Nightfall's kind of pitched sometimes as like a like a blockbuster version of of Batman, like a like a like a mindless blockbuster movie, right? But I don't think that that's that sells it kind of short a little bit because there's 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 a lot of thematic stuff between uh, Bruce and um, Azrael. You know, there, there's there's all sorts of things about what it means to be Batman and how to be Batman correctly and what somebody who is taking over for Batman might get right or wrong about doing that and uh, and how it would affect Gotham City. And, and it's just this big, sprawling epic. And it takes place over, like, three... There's, like, what? Uh, Nightfall, uh, Night's, Night's Quest, Quest, and... Um, Night's End or something yeah, like that. I think it's Night's yeah. End, yeah. And it's like 80 issues long or something like that, or 100 issues long. And I would say the quality dips like ever so slightly during the Night's Quest stuff. Does it does it lose its way a little bit? But then in night in the Night's End part or whatever whatever it's called, I can't I can't remember right now, but it comes raging back and it's just as good as it was in the beginning. And really like I read a hundred issues and I felt like maybe a handful of them I could have skipped. And I felt like the rest was just this really kick-ass bat epic. Um, quite a, quite a contrast to some other, you know, potentially hundred issue run of Batman where there's a couple issues that feel <laughs> worthwhile and the rest are all junk. Um, totally the opposite of that so that's probably you know pound for pound my favorite story but before i go on can i mention one single issue that i want to talk about that mm, yeah that's a, that's enough <laughs> okay all right how, how about you how about you say it after we say ours in case we, in case there's overlap there i promise you it's not okay, okay then go, for go, it. go ahead i was just being a Is jerk that, are either of you going to say the secret of the waiting graves no. Yes. Dang no. it. No, you weren't. <laughs> the Secret of the Waiting Graves is Detective Comics uh, issue 395. And it's this, it's like the first time Bruce is ever out of Gotham City. What He's year like, approximately are we talking here? What year? Yeah, like what 70, Okay. 70s. This is like, this is like Denny O'Neill. Okay. Okay. And it, it's, it's. It takes it, it takes Batman for the first time into this serious gothic, yet also James Bondy. Like it's very much where Grant Morrison got his Bat run. Or like the like the the, the inspiration or the seeds for his Batman run mm -hmm. came from that like Denny O'Neill kinda Alan Grant era too, you know? And and all the seeds are there and, and it's just this this like it's a one-off story, um, and it's 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 got a very like James Bond in a gothic setting feel. <laughs> it's it's like the share zone. There's like skeleton. He gets into like a cavern with skeletons everywhere. It's very dark and and just a completely different Batman from kind of the silly '60s stuff that came before. Um, and like that single issue and, and then everything that 
everything that that meant for Batman going forward, I would say, um, really struck me as an important moment when I was doing my my detective read through too. Um, and and of course, with you know Grant Grant Morrison's run is probably my favorite because Grant's just my favorite ever. But because you can see the seeds so early on there, I, I really got a kick out of that. You really do. Like if you were to read that story, you would really feel where Grant's coming from with some of that stuff. So, so I've I've talked a lot. I mean, you guys talked a lot about Shazam, so I had to get my my minutes in. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Zach, you want to go next? I can go next. Sure. Okay, so there's a little story um, that you all may have read called uh, Mythology. It recently ran in Detective Comics. Uh, Just kidding. Um, (laughs) So there's this uh, story that you may have read um, called Batman Flashpoint by Brian Azzarello. Um, okay, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I'm just stalling because uh, when Rich asked us this question, I gave my immediate answer, and I don't really have a better one because so go with that one because that well, one's not well, mine, I, and I'm afraid I you might ex- choose mine. <laughs> I want to explain. Um, so I just have like, as as I have mentioned numerous times recently, I have just like not been the biggest batman fan in recent years i'm just like pretty tired of batman um but the one run that i like still love and will always love is the is morrison's run and i think my favorite story from that is the last four issues of his batman and robin run batman and robin must die um so that would be my pick and i would also probably weave in return of bruce wayne with that because it's so at, at least that last issue is like really closely tied to that so why is that the best batman story for you um because simon hurt slips on a banana peel <laughs> <laughs> that that is not an incorrect answer <laughs> I, I oh god that one of my favorite moments in con like one of the true, genuine moments of surprise and delight. Yes. Yeah. That you could just, have reading a comic. But if I had to say more, it's just I think that was the high point of that run. Um, that was the payoff for everything that he had built up to that point. Um, it ended with such an in an exciting way with the Batman Inc. announcement that I I talked a little bit on Twitter last week about how. Um, sometimes comic stories fall apart in the third act with really long runs and, and how I felt like Batman Inc. was a great idea that wasn't fully realized and it was actually kind of anticlimactic Agreed. in terms of his run. It also happened um, to fall like in the middle of the New 52. Right. So or rather, 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 the New 52 fell in the middle of Batman Inc. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there were a lot of like complicating factors, but... Even at that time, I remember thinking as as much as I loved his run, when I read that issue, I, I felt like this feels like an ending. And I really don't know what he could do that could top this or would be as meaningful as this. And, and he never really did. So um, that, yeah, that that arc and that, of course, that run in particular, but that, that arc was just kind of the the central point of all of that 
Yeah, I definitely agree. That whole Batman and Robin run is... I understand that it's much more impactful when you read it as part of the overall Morrison story, but I think if you had to pull any one part of the Morrison story out and have it stand on its own, I think the Batman and Robin stuff stands on its own the best. Or at least that's my favorite stuff. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's really timeless in a lot of ways, even though it doesn't have Bruce as Batman. And, yeah. Um, in fact, I think the only questionable arc in that is the the second one, the Philip Tan arc with Red Hood. Yes. And that's just more from an art standpoint than than anything. Um. Shall I give mine now, or do you have more to say about that? Nope. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I was going to be cheeky and say that James Tynan's Detective Comics run was my favorite Batman story. Uh, specifically, the the arc at the end with Clayface's murder at the hands of uh, Batwoman. But I'm not going to go with that, because I, I first of all, that, that's just recency bias, and also because I, I think... Well, I really do love that story. I think a big part of why I enjoyed that run so much was that it was in such sharp contrast to Tom King's run. Um, so I, I'm trying to not pick anything that, that has sort of a, a, a cute reason for it. Um, so my answer is uh, Black Mirror, the mm-hmm. Scott Snyder written Dick Grayson as Batman last storyline before the New 52. Uh Again, it's 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 maybe a little bit odd that both of us, or the the, the two thirds of us picked a, a, actually all three of us picked a story without Bruce's Batman in some ways, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nightfall I'm... features a fair amount of Azrael as Batman. Um, but I I feel like that's maybe instructive as to what makes Batman matter for us, uh, which is not so much who's under the cowl or. Or maybe who's under the cowl matters the most, and that's why we we don't want a Bruce story necessarily. But uh, Black Mirror has the best Jim Gordon ever written, I would say, in it. It also has, I mean, there aren't a lot of James Gordon Jr. stories, but that is sort of you know obviously the the best James Gordon Jr. story that that is that ever was. Um, it has you know Dick as Batman. And it, it, it does a great job of illustrating why Dick and Bruce are so different as Batman without necessarily coming down in a partisan way for one or the other. The, the example that, that I think really speaks to this is, I think it's in the first issue, there's a scene where Dick is talking to Jim Gordon on the rooftop and Jim turns around and when he turns around, Dick is still there and he says, like, I'm not used to you being there when I turn around and it's just, it's just a really nice way of, of describing the difference between Bruce and Dick without it seeming like it's, uh, you know, it, it wasn't judging. It was just pointing out the differences in the two characters. Um, that storyline also, I think it's, is it eight issues long? Vince, you just read it all. I think it's 11. Is it 11? Is it that many? Black Mirror? Yeah. Because I think it starts at 871 and ends at 881. Yeah, but some of that's not actually Black Mirror, is it? it? No, it all is. 
Okay, I just read it. I, I don't remember those. So. Anyway, what I was going to say is like it's also hard to pinpoint a Batman story with better art than that because that has both Jock and Francesco Francovilla doing work and uh, the, the two story. It starts off as two separate stories that eventually dovetail into one story and it's just it's so great and yeah um, yeah i guess i guess vince you could argue like there's the the jock side and then the frank avia side which is yeah, the skeleton key stuff but it all it's all about james gordon jr yeah yep sure yeah yeah and yeah. i think was there a backup at that point too I don't think so. I, I think once the the backup was the jock stuff initially. I mean the the Francovia stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then it kind of yeah. Yes. And then the two stories come together. Yeah. Uh, that was also I I will say, possibly definitively, uh, that was the last time that I saw any image of the Joker and didn't groan. That cover <laughs> is it the eight eighty eight eighty or eight eighty one. When it's like the Joker made of the bats. Yeah. You know what I'm talking it's, about, that cover? It's like, oh, everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. It's iconic. Yeah. I feel like that was the last time that a Joker image was not funny to me. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I was hoping you'd get that. Come on. Come on. That's so good, Brian. Oh, that that made my whole night worth it. Yeah, we we bored you with 30 minutes of Shazam talk, so I can, yeah. make, so I can I'm, make... I'm not going to hang myself now. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, so, Rich, I don't know if that answers your question or not. All of us picked relatively modern Batman stories. Two of us from almost the exact same month, I think. Uh, I want to say Black Mirror started the month after Batman and Robin Must Die ended, right? I think you're right, yeah. Because at that point, when Bruce came back, before they announced the New 52, it was announced that Bruce was going to be the Batman in the book Batman and Batman Incorporated, and Dick was going to stay Batman in Detective and in Batman and Robin, correct? I think that oh, I think that Bruce was actually Batman in Batman, the, and, in Batman and Robin. I can't it's remember. been a long time since I've read it though, because that was that. Was that Paul was, Cornell uh, maybe? Well, it's it was supposed to be Tomasi and Gleason at first, and but they weren't ready, and so Cornell and Benjamin Ryan, I want to say. Ryan Benjamin. Ryan Benjamin. I do that every single time. <laughs> um. I think it was Ryan Benjamin did that really weird um, story about the woman with the hole in her head. Um, nothing. I don't know. I can't remember. It was not good. And then in Tomasi and Gleason did that white night story. Yes. Which was not great either. It was better though. It was better, but it wasn't, it wasn't what they would do in the new 52 with Batman and Robin. Right. And I think there then I think there was a Judd Winnick and Gia March Red Hood story. Oh man, yes, there was. Oof. Um, Zach, where do you keep God? Yeah, I know. 
youth is really something, isn't it? I'm sure there was. A, I'm sure there was a time I used to remember all this stuff. Oh, um, Mr. Two Years Younger. I just always will remember that because the first issue of that run, I think actually, I think it was the second issue because it, it was, this is another, I, I may be wrong about this, but I think this cover that, that was, um, March did that was an homage to the first issue of Batman and Robin, only it had Red Hood on yes. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be the cover for the first issue of that arc. But then they had that month where everything had the white covers with the logo and the character. And so that pushed it back. I think I may be wrong about that, but I collected all of those stupid covers. (laughs) I, I, for a while I had the, uh, the Shazam one going back to that, uh, like set aside to be framed because I love that image. Oh, Uh, wasn't that, that was a one shot, right? Yeah. And it was, it was Freddie Freeman as Shazam. Yeah, because wasn't that a tie-in to the um, the Titans run yes, at the time? Exactly. Yes. And what written, a written by Eric Wallace, one of the worst yes. runs of all time. Yeah. <laughs> no, Man, sorry. What a weird time. That that Titans run was bad, but it wasn't that terrible. His Mister Terrific is the worst run of all time. Yeah. Um, that Titans era was like it was picking up on threads that were kind of left over from Fifty Two. Because remember, Osiris was part of it. Yes. Uh, the yes. resurrected Osiris was part of it, uh, and that's also there was it was an Eric Wallace written Titan special that Ryan Choi was killed mm-hmm. by Deathstroke, and that led to the Deathstroke led Titans. Man, that was just the dark ages for Shazam characters. Yeah, I mean there was really after the um, after the Jerry Ordway series, which was I believe the power of Shazam. Yeah, in, in the '90s, the one that crossed over with Starman. Once that ended, there was like nothing good Shazam that was in continuity, aside from the stuff in '52, and that's really just, um, that's really just Black Adam stuff. That's not really well, yeah, Shazam stuff. Yeah, and he, yeah, and like really, like Black Adam was under Johns, was even under like JSA and stuff, and he really got the you know front but like i don't even billy was in 52 for a minute but i think something happens to him off panel maybe and then there's that freddie freeman uh trials of shiz that's not what it's called yes it is is it trials of written by judd winnick yeah going back to the winnick stuff yeah yeah and then some weird stuff happens and then johns ends up like nuking everything at the end of his justice society run yes the second volume. It was weird. It was weird. Um, I did want to also say that. Um, oh fuck! I just lost what I was going to say. Talking about Judd Winnick and Shazam, Black Adam. Oh, Mary Marvel had a brief resurgence in uh, Countdown because of Final Crisis. Yes. Yes, like yes. She, she she turned evil. Yes, and and Johns used that version in that last arc of JS of Justice Society. Yes, weirdly. Yes. Yeah, this is really weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny, you know. Dude, Captain Marvel slash Shazam is is one of the more iconic Golden Age characters, 
but DC has arguably never done right by those characters. <laughs> like ever since DC started publishing them, they've been, uh, you know, they've just been messing it up in one way or another. Um, one last bit of news, and, and this is calling this news is a bit of a stretch, but so next week, so by the time you guys hear this, uh, this week right now, the entire digitized gold and silver and bronze age of DC will be up on DC Universe. Oh my god! So now they they openly say we have not digitized everything, but anything that they have digitized will be up. So they give a list of of what's coming up. So like for instance, the first fifty issues of Action Comics are not digitized yet. Unless those are already up there. Maybe that's what it is. But so, like, Action Comics 50 through 105, and then 267 through 478 are going up. Um, How much have they crunchitized? I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're we're all adults. We can't see that anymore. (laughs) Uh, But there are some things on here that I feel like are really interesting based on what's happening in comics now like for instance the original 12 issue run of amethyst princess of gem world is coming on there um is, is this list somewhere out yes, there yes uh you... it is on the dc universe site i can put it in the show notes in our um in our chat window here sorry folks this is fantastic radio there you go uh but just you know for for our our listeners here the original, uh, the first Blue Devil series, Arian, Lord of Atlantis. We just saw Arian show up for the first time in a long time. In uh, was it Abnett's run that had Arian in it? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, the original Challenge of the Unknown, the full run of DC Comics Presents. Um, Let's see what else is on here. The 60s Hawkman series. Here's the big one, boys. Commandy, the last boy on Earth. Ah. Uh, I have those nice hardcovers. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, sort of, especially what's not on here. But again, certain things aren't digitized yet. And also, I wonder if they're going to roll out some of the stuff. Like, there's not the entire fourth world stuff in here. But I wonder if they're going to do like a big fourth world drop later this year or something like that, mm. you know. Um, I know a lot of the fourth have, worlds here. I noticed they have like the first 300 issues of World's Best Comics. Which is <laughs> a that is a weird thing to have if you don't have like the first 50 issues of Action, you know. Yeah. So little Legion. Uh <laughs> well, I I think some Legion might already be in there. That's why. There is, uh, but it's it's really not very much. Okay. Um, um, and it's it's weird. Um, but maybe there's some. They'll get more. Yeah. I'm well, I'm gonna read it all. You know, 170 issues of the Brave and the Bold. Um, the Forever People, the full Forever People, 11 issue run. Uh, yeah, the original Omega Men. Ooh. Captain Carrot number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are some very weird, uh, you know, like one issue things dropped in in here. But anyway, it's super cool. 
I, I think that DC Universe is... I'm sort of shocked that they caved this quickly. If you remember when it launched, Jim Lee was like, it devalues the comics to put them all up there for one price. And mm-hmm. now we're just a few months in and we're pretty much getting that, so... Well, I think somebody was standing outside of uh, DC Universe's house and telling him to shut the fuck up, and, <laughs> and they did. Yeah. Um, but I'm very excited for this. And you all should be, too. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got five books to talk about, and, of course, everyone's favorite segment, The Lists. We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back, and we're going to be talking about five books that DC released this week. But before we do that, let's go through our lists for this week. So um, this is a really odd week of comics in our list format here. Uh, On the good list, we have Wonder Woman. On the OK list, we have Catwoman, The Flash, Justice League Odyssey, Red Hood Outlaw, Supergirl, Superman, and Wonder Twins. On the bad list, we have, unfortunately, The Batman Who Laughs. And on the Sandman Universe list, we have House of Whispers. So let's talk about the other five books we didn't list there. The first one up is Batman, number 68, written by Thomas King. Illustrated by Amanda Connor at all. There's, I believe, four credited artists on the book. Yeah, uh, Dan Panogian, John Timms, and and Michael Jennon. Yeah. Um, so, Can I tell my Tom King dream first? Yes, please do. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you want to preface it? You have to uh, sing it to the tune of. Uh, I can't. I can't remember what song it was. <laughs> uh, I. I I will say that uh, I just want to let our listeners know they don't have to send any kids out of the room. It was not a wet dream. <laughs> it was not. So. Um, so last night I had a very vivid dream that DC did a um, DC Rebirth style live stream event thing, but it was just <laughs> Tom King and he was conducting an orchestra that's how it began he is up on he is conducting this orchestra and it's like a very it's a classical piece of music that i i don't remember what it was but i i had the impression that it's something that not very many people would recognize it's a little niche a little it uh, it wasn't beethoven's fifth no no and then and so he performs this piece and then he 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 turn he turns to the crowd and he says, "How about this piece of music, everyone? Yes, you know this piece of music. Yes, and 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 sounds like his dialogue of, already. Yeah. Yes, and then he, he and then he um does like an SNL digital short <laughs> comes up on the screen that he has produced, and it's it's basically he's him. Yeah. yeah, he it's him, and he's talking to these three guys, and their names are." Vance, Zad, and Mike. 
sad. And, and these three characters look suspiciously like the three of us. So and, the three handsomest devils you ever seen. Got it. And okay. so we're watching this and we're just tugging our collars a little bit. And we're like, this can't be. He doesn't know about us. Are we together, by the way, in the stream? Or are the three of us yeah, watching we this are. together? Okay. We, well, we were either together or we were communicating. I can't, okay. I can't remember exactly, but we were in proximity. And he starts going on about how some people don't like his comics and <laughs> and there's like a studio audience and they're they're like booing <laughs> <laughs> and he's just dunking on us on our, not ourselves but our our <laughs> uh, advance yeah, zad and mike <laughs> He's just dunking like on there's, there, there's apparently no way to ridicule the name Brian. So he just had to give up and say Mike. <laughs> um, and, I mean, that's just kind of how the dream went on, was just him <laughs> appealing to the masses about how only fools would not <laughs> enjoy his, his Batman and, and how he was kind of hurt that he's just trying to tell this great tale and, and we just we just don't understand. I'm sorry, Tam. <laughs> yeah. Tam, Tam Kang. Kong. <laughs> uh, that's great, Zach. Yes. You know, I really do think that someday, you know, 10, 20 years in the future, the three of us are going to be visited by three, uh, three, you know, ex-CIA agents who have been given their burn notice that, and <laughs> Tom King will have hired them to garrote us in the middle of the night um i think you're gonna say we're gonna be visited by the ghosts of of uh zaff and uh <laughs> and vance and mike like a, like a christmas carol and tell us how our lives have gone wrong because we don't like tom king comics <laughs> you boy what day is today why well, it's new comic book day it's not too late i can like tom king comics <laughs> yeah oh let's talk about batman yeah. So if this issue was not labeled Batman, would you have any idea until the last four pages this was an issue of Tom King's Batman? Yeah. Yeah, really? I think I would have. To me this was and I under like there there's a lot of his sort of dialogue. That's you know, it right there. That, that that is that is noticeable. But the tone of this issue, and part of that is Connor's art, is just so so much a 180 from what we've seen in the first 67 issues. You're not wrong. Um, I take it you liked it. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... This was closer to like the Joel Jones issues. Yes, what I was going to say was I liked this more than I've liked the majority of of his issues so far, but I don't think this is a good comic. Yeah. Um, did did either of you guys read the? It came out. I guess it was like right before the Last Jedi came out. The Canto Bite four story collection that came out. I did not. I read uh, Saladin Ahmed's story from that about like the 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 lovable loser salesman guy. Oh, okay. No, there's a story in there that is all about there's somebody who is like essentially an intergalactic sommelier who collects rare wines from all over the galaxy. 
And that character essentially is one of the like Superman robots from this story. Like ah. every wine that was described here, I'm like, oh, that's exactly like it was described in that Star Wars story. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Damn, because that was like one of the one of the parts of this issue that I actually really liked. I mean, you know, I don't think Tom King knew about that and uh-huh. was purposely ripping that off, but it gave off very similar vibes to it. Sure. It um, was fun. Yeah, that was fun. And I would say it was a the... great art page, too, because Amanda Connor got to do a lot of different designs for the glasses and the bottles. And, and even the wine itself looked really different, like panel to panel. Yep. And they were very unique to the plants they were coming from. And then and then you get the one from Earth and it looks just like a normal, you know, it was a very vivid page. And like, I, I just think that I stuff like that is neat. And I'm a huge Amanda Connor fan. So, yes, I wanted to like this a lot more than I did, too. Um I will say that, like, the Lois and Selena stuff, if it was just that, I would have enjoyed the issue more. Mm. Um, I, I think that this continues King's trend of just not knowing who Bruce Wayne is and uh, mm-hmm. making Bruce the most boring, terrible version of himself that he could be. So all the yep. stuff with Bruce and Clark really fell flat for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just wretched, like... I get that the, that the thematic and comedic idea there is that the, these two guys have nothing to say to one another about the mundane aspects of life. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's – it doesn't ring true for me. It's it's taken too far. It's too over the top, you know? I would almost say the same thing about the Lois and Selena stuff oh, too. absolutely. Oh, I mean, it's it, of course over the top, but it's more fun. It is more fun until the end where it's just like – really depressing yes yeah but to me to me the dialogue of part during that part is unbearable as well like i cringe thinking about tom king trying to write to uh i don't know what 30 something uh ladies trying to have like a, a girl's night out bachelorette type party like Oh my god, that dialogue was unbearable. Was it in King's Batman or Tomasi's Superman when there was the double date with them? That was King's Batman. Yeah, that was King's Batman with Clayman art. Yeah, that was way better than this. Way better than this, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it the reason I thought it was maybe Tomasi's Superman run was because it was so totally different than this. Yeah, and, Even though and it's, it was set at a carnival. Yes, exactly. I'm getting confused with that. Was it Superman number seven, maybe? Mm-hmm. That great Jorge Jimenez issue at the State Fair? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. But, this, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, no. I the, the dialogue was just unbearable to me. There were bits and pieces that I liked. Um like okay, like the 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 alcoholic beverages part, like the wine part, was good. The idea of the paradise pool being something that Brainiac once trapped Superman in years ago is a very that's absolutely something you would see in a in a golden age Superman comic. Oh yeah, yeah. Some very silly trap that he gets stuck in, and I thought that that was a that was a really like I love when writers do stuff like that. Even um, even the bit that led up to the alcohol stuff, where the Superman robots were like, 
unfortunately, Superman doesn't drink. But yeah. he's been given all of these like bottles as, as gifts. Like even that stuff to me, just the, those Fortress of Solitude stuff was far more playful than we see King most of the time. Yes, you know, sure, I would agree. All of that stuff was, I mean, I don't think it was great, but it was certainly a change of pace, and it it, it had elements of fun. It felt like a book that didn't take itself so goddamn seriously all the time. Absolutely. Yes, I agree with that. Totally. Um, I I want you guys to, talk, you know, say more about this issue if you have anything to say. But but there's one thing at the very end before we move on that I want to ask you guys uh, before we move on. So just, you know, say whatever else you want to say about this issue. But but I have a question to wrap it up. OK. OK. I will say the only bit of um, of Superman of Clark Bruce dialogue that I found not terribly written was when Clark was trying to be optimistic about the Gotham Knights. Is it the Knights <laughs> about their quarterback? And he yeah. was like, "He's good, right?" And Bruce just said, "No." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was that was a very nice bit of characterization too of Clark trying to find like the positive thing about a local sports guy. And Bruce just having none of it. Oh, yeah. Isn't that... Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Because that is an instance of King writing the characters as the characters. Without them saying, like, I'm Superman and I'm positive because of this. And I'm Batman and I'm sad. Like, that's actually a perspective on something as a you know irreverent as a game of sports sports ball <laughs> <laughs> that and yet you see their points of view on that and then their character shines through in that way later in the issue superman says i love being superman but i hate that i have to you hate being batman but love that you have to be that sucks as dialogue in an issue of a comic and it's also not true, I would argue. It's not true. It's not true. But if that's your thesis on the characters, you don't have your characters say that to one another. Right. You know? It's like the Futurama thing. Your characters can't just go around saying how they feel all the time. That makes me angry. <laughs> yeah. Zach, anything else to add? Nah. Okay. <laughs> I'm interested to see what Vince has to say. I just... I, just a logistical question that I, this is an honest question that I have for both of you guys. This arc is called Nightmares, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of this issue, you see Batman hooked up to some sort of nightmare machine, right? Mm-hmm. It has been hinted at a couple times throughout the arc that Batman is hooked up to a machine or, or that somebody is inducing nightmares in him. I believe... Constantine maybe tells him that at one point. Um, I think it may have been mentioned in an, in one other issue by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was Catwoman in the last issue, maybe. But but regard regardless. Well, regardless. I think didn't King say in that tweet that we discussed previously that it's that it's Bane. It's Bane. Yes. Yeah. It's Bane. Okay, so I'm getting to that like. And then in the tweet, he said, Bane's got Batman hooked up to a nightmare machine. And he he said that in the tweet. 
and it may, and then reading this issue, it made me think, what was the last issue before the first issue of Nightmares, Nightmares, or whatever this is called? Do you remember? Uh, it was. It was a million years ago because this arc was then divided right. by the uh, the Williamson check. thing. Yes. Okay. So then, so then, it doesn't matter. It the the answer to that doesn't oh, matter. It it was um. Well, gee, I'm having to go so far back. It was something. It was the penguin stuff. Okay, it was the penguin stuff. Was there ever a moment in the comic where you saw Batman like incapacitated or kidnapped or whatever to get him to this point? Or, or did the first issue of Nightmares happen, and he, he was in the middle of a nightmare? It's that the the latter. Yeah, I think I think I think it's the latter as well. Why are we learning in a tweet that Bane has Batman hooked up to the nightmare machine? Because Tom King, some yeah, exactly. To... Because Tom yeah. King, right? Exactly. It's <laughs> well... so. It is so insane to me that this nightmares arc just started in media res and. And there's no explanation for it. And now you see what it is in Batman 68, but you still don't really know. And Tom King just tweeted that, oh, it's, oh, Bane hasn't hooked up to this machine. Like, I'm, what the fuck kind of storytelling is that? <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily mind that as much. But I mean, there's, there's a way to do, like, Writers do that all the time where they start you in the middle of a story or, or they introduce you into the story and you don't know every, I don't need, I don't need to be spelled out everything that's okay. happening. Right. I don't need that. What I'm saying is what I'm saying is like this run just feels so weird. It feels like arcs just come and go and there's no real like tether between them. And we're I, it's really more the the overall effect that this arc has had on my psyche reading it like like i feel like i'm the crazy one when i'm seeing tom king tweet like the plot of this arc when the arc itself isn't even giving you that plot well what i was going to say straight, is straight faced you know yeah well, what i was going to say is that this to me very much feels like an arc that is written knowing that the people who read this arc are also going to follow the writer on Twitter. I guess. And that I hate that. I really do hate that. I feel like every interview you hear with King, every time you see him tweet, he's, he's basically said a couple of times, like this is that, I don't know if he's always said that Bane is doing it, but it's like, there's going to be a whole arc that will take place called nightmares. That will be Bruce exploring like, bits of his psyche, whatever. And we knew that before the arc started. But if you just picked up the first issue of Nightmares, which I guess would have been issue 60? Maybe? Like, I don't know if you would have... You know, I don't know if somebody 10 years from now reading this in a collection will will understand it the same way. But I feel like King is writing just presuming that you're also aware of these other things, which is a bad yeah. way to write. And I'm not, I, I don't need everything spoon-fed. Like, that's the last. In fact, one of the things I like about Tom King, what I liked about uh, Mr. Miracle, 
is that it was a difficult read at at times. Like to to find your footing in that story took a little bit of wrestling with the material, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that Batman almost tries to operate the same way, and it completely doesn't work for me. You're like you're not wrestling. Like the thing about Mister Miracle is you're wrestling with this broken concept of reality because of because of these thematic uh, leaps that that Tom King is trying to get you to make uh, that make it more than just a superhero story, right? Mm-hmm. His Batman run and and nightmares it it just feels like it came out of nowhere like like that that depth that you're trying to reach for or that ambiguity it only exists because it feels half written you know it doesn't feel fully formed that's 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 a better way of saying it actually mr miracle felt like a fully formed you know for for some of its faults it still felt like a fully formed idea in 12 issues and this doesn't feel I mean, we're not we're not at the end of it yet, but it's not going to. It it, it feels like a half baked idea, and hey. I'm not I'm not taking issue with him doling out bits of information on Twitter. I'm taking issue with that it feels so half assed, and then you see him doing that on Twitter, and it almost feels like a writer making up for work he didn't do. You yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, I will say that this feels like. This feels like King has ambition to get to 100 issues or 105 issues, whatever, but only really has that in terms of the broad strokes of each plot point. Like, he thinks, like, all right, the Nightmares arc needs to take eight parts, but he doesn't actually know what those eight parts are. He just knows that that should be, there should be an eight-issue chunk called this, and there mm-hmm. should be a 10-issue chunk called this or whatever, and yeah. all the all those chunks are woefully underdeveloped. But because that's how it fits into sort of his overall scheme, that's how he's writing it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Oh, I, I really do think that the like these are ideas that he has had. I think every one of these issues is or I could believe that every one of these issues is an idea that he had and felt that it deserved to be an issue. I guess. Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> but for something like this like if this is this would have been a fine this would have been a fine way to do this, the bachelor parties for these characters as opposed to those stupid spin-off stories by Tim Seeley <laughs> some of the, a couple of those were good yeah I, I, I was overly harsh there but like but, it, <laughs> but if this is if King said I want to do a Batman Catwoman wedding, and I have a really good idea for the Bachelor and Bachelorette party. They would have like DC wouldn't have said to him like, "No, sorry, pal, we got Tim Silly doing that." <laughs> like th- that that wouldn't have happened, right? Like he would have been able to write that, but they did both, and both is weird. Yeah, that is all. Any other Batman thoughts? No. Well, I hope you guys are ready for more Batman thoughts because we got Detective Comics number 1001, baby. Uh, you mean Batman thoughts. Batman thoughts, yeah. yes. 
Uh, uh, first, is... first of all, I like the new logo. So do I. Before we get to anything. Else. Oh, it's very good. It's People very... dislike it. I don't get it. It's very Batman and Robin. Yes, it is. Um, this issue, by the way, is written by Pete Tomasi, illustrated by Brad Walker. That Brad Walker art. It's very good. It's, it's really the, good. It's the good thing about this issue, right? It make I yeah. I mean honestly, it made me like this issue. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I I I did. I went there. It's so fluid. I love. There's like there's like scenes where, uh, Batman's swooping around and it's it's so so dang fluid. It's Batman. Batman. Yeah. Batman is. Yeah. Um, I, why, why is Brad Walker art so rare, too? Why is he only ever on, like, two issues of, of a book? They made him do Demon Hell is Earth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is true. Um, <laughs> they made him do it. They, yes, they held the gun to his head. <laughs> had to do it to him. This. Yeah. <laughs> to do it to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... This issue is gorgeous to look at, but does sort of the same thing that the pre-1000 Tomasi monkey run does, which is just it throws all logic out the window in a lot of ways. But that run all turned out to be in Batman's head. So that was the excuse for why there was no internal logic applied to the story. Whereas this is most definitely not happening in his head. At least I don't think so. If so, that's a weird thing to do two arcs in a row. But like, just... What is the... Huh? What What's what the issue that you have with the logic of the story? Oh, I mean, all of it? Like, okay. It just seems to me like this this story plays so fast and loose with science. And not even in like a comic oh, book well. way. <laughs> Where have we seen that before? I'm sorry. I no. digress. Um, but I, I feel like, first of all, there are no way there are this many bats in Gotham City to have all these dead bats. That's just like, that's an inordinate amount of bats. But I'll, I'll even leave that be. But like, I have no problem with weird pseudoscience in a comic. I just feel like everything that Tomasi has done since coming out to Batman has felt like a really lazy explanation of things. Like the making of the, the, the small sun in the sky... I don't know, just all of it just felt like really hokey to me. This felt like an incredibly hokey Batman story. And not even in a fun, like, Silver Age hokey way. Just bad. I don't know. I really didn't like this issue. Aside from the uh. admittedly very good art. I certainly didn't anticipate the first storyline uh, coming out of Detective 1000 would be Bruce Wayne versus the Knights Who Say Knee. So if Bruce Wayne, would that make him um, Sir Robin? He's brave Sir Robin, yes. Okay. But he ran away and chickened out. <laughs> he, he was not in the least bit scared to be killed in nasty ways. Yeah. Uh, this is this is Emily Bate right now, by the way. Yeah. For our, our friend Emily <laughs> of Monk right. Club. We're talking she's, about Eric Idle. We're talking about 70s Eric Idle. She's getting hot, hot under the collar right now. She's horny on Maine for uh, Roger the Shrubber. Yeah. <laughs> we are so deep on our bullshit today. Um, but, you know. Well, I, don't, don't listen to this. 
Did you say Walt? Don't listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, again, I really didn't like this. Zach, you like the story, despite the art. I mean, in addition to the art. Yeah, I mean, I kind of liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was fine. I, I um, you know, still don't really care anything about the Arkham Knight or his intentions. Um, but um, I thought that the the bat thing was fine. I thought that using um, Francine is that her name? Francine? Yeah. Yeah. Langstrom was cool, and then and also referencing back to Justice League Dark was cool um, and worked well in the context of the story. Um, the sun thing. I mean, I don't. I mean. That is an interesting idea. Um, I'm interested to see what they do with that. Um, and the art was really, really great. It was a very bright Batman comic, which, when do we get those? When they introduce um, the second son. That's when we get yeah, those. Yeah, you need two sons. You need two sons to have a, a bright Batman comic. Um, Super Day. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I, I liked this more than I expected to. Vince? Um, I, uh, I don't know. Brian, you talk. I already talked about how much I didn't like it. <laughs> it's, it's Vince's turn. Yeah, it's Vince's I, turn. I don't really. As somewhere you fall somewhere between the two of us, or Zach's an idiot, and we're done. Let's go. I I I, I don't know. What don't you know about? Help us here. <laughs> He's done. <laughs> I'm not. I I don't. I don't. I don't know what I'm. I don't know. I'm lost right now. Are you having a stroke? Do you need us? Do you smell <laughs> yes. toast, toast burning? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> are we moving on? I have no. What are you? What are we talking about? Detective <laughs> Comics. What you think? I already said. I already said all I had to say about it. <laughs> which is which is nothing. <laughs> I said the Knights who say me thing. Yeah, you made one joke. That's it. That's all I have to say. Okay. All right. I said I liked the logo. I said I said I didn't like it very much other than the art. I already yes, I did talk about it already. You you had me thinking that we were on to some other book. Zach, am I going crazy here or is Vince going crazy? <laughs> we're all going crazy. Okay. No, I, I, I said everything there is to say. <laughs> everything there is to say. <laughs> yes. The final word on all creation has been said by Vince Ostrowski. Yes, I said the night you say nay. Yes, I said okay. I didn't. Let, I said Brad Walker's art is the only thing well, I liked about it. I thought that's you what I said. Detail about why you didn't like it, what didn't work for you. You know the things we've done for 170 <laughs> episodes or so. That's all. 170 years. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, well, anyway, apparently, we're moving on to Hawkman, which was written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Brian Hitch. Vince is just, just going to say Deathbringers and then shut the fuck up, apparently. No. So. No. So what are you going to say then, pal? Go for it. 
I'm going to say that, you know, this issue is fairly standard. Um, but I liked the thing that I like about it is all the different Hawkman designs. And like, I love the appearance of the dragon of Bar- of Barbatos, right? Mm-hmm. That that was brought into this series, even for just a panel is a really interesting flex, I guess <laughs> is what I would call that. Um, the, the story itself is like, whatever, because it's, it's just kind of a continuation of what's been going on. It's, it's Carter versus this Deathbringer character from the past. Um, that's apparently immortal now. Um, and they're ju- they're just trying to take the city, right? I mean, the story is whatever. Not much to say there. But I really do love the imagination that this book showed in creating all these different versions of Hawkman, even if the vast majority of them didn't get a heck of a lot to do. Yeah. I, I wish then- we saw another a whole issue of the Nighthawk of the Old West. Yes. Like, that's yeah. a really cool character design. Yeah, there. Did I say enough for you, Brian? You know, I, I, I'm truly sorry. I expected a co-host to co-host. I'm really, I'm really sorry about that. I, next time, I'll just, you know. Yeah, Zach, what say you? Um. Yeah. I. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that. Um, Venditti should have dragged this out a little bit longer. But I really would have liked to have seen um, some more standalone type, um, you know, times past issues with these Hawkmen, especially some of the newer ones that I don't think have ever existed before, like the the um, New Gods Hawkmen. Yeah. And, and, um, some of the other ones, I. The Silent Night I, of Britain. Which one? The Silent Night of Britain. Yes, yeah. Um, the um, the one from Ran who looks a lot like the Rocketeer. Yeah. Um, who may have existed before, but yeah, these are just all really cool. And this run is at issue eleven, and it really feels like it's almost over. Um, I mean, he may have more ideas past this Deathbringer stuff, but it's just gotten here really quickly. And I mean, we do have all these Hawkmen now, and maybe we're going to have a Hawkmen core or something. I don't know. That'd be wild. Yeah, I don't know if they're all going to go away, like at the end of this battle or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would love to see more of this. I mean, this is one of the problems, I think, with a story, with with a book like this, which is that as much fun as it would be to get that Rocketeer Hawkman story or the New God Hawkman story, it's so hard for DC to to publish a book that is just one shots of Hawkman characters that a very small subset of their audience is going to enjoy. And yeah. to, and so you, this is kind of the best way to do that, even if you're winding up leaving a lot of these characters on the table. I will say I think that Maybe if Venditti had had... Like, it seemed like for a while, every issue was Carter going into one past area and having a whole issue with that one Hawkman. I I think it would have been better to maybe have two per issue 
you could have done more with the characters and maybe made it not so episodic where it was he had to go and we had to go and like get a relic from each one or something it just felt very formulaic it felt very like procedural to have those stories told that way and i would have preferred a less procedural story but that focused on more individual incarnations of his character yeah the the way i guess i see it is it if there was maybe a little bit more meat on this deathbringer story which it, it really sadly does not seem like there is that much um you know if he could have done like alternating like i guess in it, the way i imagine this it would have been really cool to have like you know two to three issue arcs that would be broken up by a times past issue that was maybe done by a different artist and and wouldn't necessarily even have to be related to the ongoing story it could just be this fun one-off with a different hot character um and it you know maybe maybe venditti's not the writer to do that um but that that would have been kind of how i envisioned it that does sound fun i also do want to say that uh i am absolutely shocked in a really good way that brian hitch has made it is it all 11 issues without a fill-in yeah that's almost unbelievable it's pretty wild good for him um any other hawkman notes no mm-hmm. no all right let's go to um should we save scooby apocalypse for last well, you know what they say about the best for last. Yeah, let's save Scooby Apocalypse for last. So let's talk <clears> about <throat> Titans number 36 first. Written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Bruno Redondo. We had talked a little bit off air about this issue. And there's a framing device set up here. There's a conversation between Raven and Dick Grayson that takes place, I guess, like right before this, right before the Abnett installments of this not just after the first half too uh, right after the the no justice stuff happened it's um, br before, before rick oh yeah <laughs> that i'm so sad about that yeah um but it that that framing device really worked for this issue and i thought this issue overall was a very nice conclusion to the titan story what did you guys think zach why don't you go first um yeah i liked this issue um not a small amount uh considering i haven't been the biggest fan of abnett's titans overall um but i thought this issue was really good it makes me sad that this book is ending and odyssey is continuing um because when you think about it it is kind of interesting how we have these two titans teams essentially i mean that's kind of what odyssey is as well um, yeah and this is in my opinion the better of the two um i hope that maybe abnick can somehow i you know i i really wonder how long odyssey is gonna go i would be surprised if it makes it past issue 12 personally but i agree it'd be 
if it keeps going, if he, you know, worked some of the plot threads or characters from Titans over to that somehow, um, that'd be cool. But yeah, I, I thought that this issue was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Vince? I liked it a lot. Um, just for, just for that framing device, I think, you know, I, I think we've been saying that that this book is only okay. I know, Brian, I know you, I think you like it more than Zach and I have, but, but yes. regardless, like, I, I think overall we found it to be only okay, but I think including the Raven and Dick stuff in this really, really gave it an injection of heart and meaning just beyond whatever, whatever this interminable conflict with mother blood has been. Um, and it, it really it really made the issue go down smoother as a read, especially ending on that note with Raven and Dick on the roof of the um, of the Justice League uh, Hall of headquarters. Justice. Yeah, the Hall of Justice. Um, yeah, I think that that really. I mean, that really let that that left me wishing that this book was going to continue. And it was a book that for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven issues, I didn't give a shit about. And I think that that's the power that a little bit of characterization can have on, on a series, right? Yeah. Um, I, think it's, I think it's something that has been a little bit missing over the last, and it's certainly missing from, and we talked about this before the show, but Justice League Odyssey. Like, that is what's missing from that book. Uh, and it, it couldn't be clear on a week where they're both out and they're both written by the same writer. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I'll say is that I don't think any of us would deny that we really enjoy the makeup of this team. Like we, when this, when this book was announced, we were saying how great the team was and then swapping out Dick Grayson for Kyle Rayner was, I think everybody felt an inspired move. For this team and so on one level just just from a, a standpoint of seeing the same characters pop up in book after book after book i really liked the way this team was composed i thought that it's um you know i just i i, I really i really enjoyed how i'm gonna blank on his name now i think it's ben the kid from supergirl was also yeah. in this book. yeah that's right i think you know um it was just a really well constructed bit of of team building and I liked some of the threads that were introduced here, but I, I get the impression with a lot of this justice league, no justice stuff or new justice rather that they had a bunch of big ideas. And because Odyssey was so delayed, everything got kind of mucked up in the process. And I feel like there's no way that this unearth story was supposed to take as long as it did, but because there was nothing else to do, it just got dragged out longer. If this is a three-issue story instead of a six-issue story, I think we have a very different view of this book at issue 36. Sure. So. I will say that I really hope that these characters, specifically Kyle Rayner and Steele, show up elsewhere. The Natasha Steele character is a great character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pour one out for Titans. Mm-hmm. When's the next time we see a book called Titans? 
Probably um, when Titan Season 2 comes out. Yeah. You're probably right, sadly. All right, last but not least, the piece de resistance. <laughs> the book's so nice, we waited 36 issues to even read it. Uh, Scooby Apocalypse, the finale of Scooby Apocalypse, written, if you can call it writing, by J.M. DeMatteis, illustrated by Pat Olaf. Guys, what the fuck is happening in this book? <laughs> I've got a really important question. Sure. How long has Dio been off of this book? He was never on the book. I thought he was. No. He wasn't? No. You're thinking of Sideways. This... No, I thought Didio was on... No, Didio said this was his favorite book DC was publishing when I interviewed him that time. I really thought that he was on there. I mean, he may as well have been, right? Like... <laughs> I want to say Giffen might have been co-writing it with DeMatteis. Maybe that's what it was. Hang on, you guys talk. I'm going to look this up. I no, really yeah, thought that he was. Giffen, it's no, it's it was Giffen, and it's not. Okay. Yeah. What? But uh, didn't Didio do a Hanna Barbera book at one point? He maybe did one of these stories in a. I really thought he had one of them. <laughs> no, he didn't do one of the hand. No, he didn't write like an ongoing. You know what you might be thinking of, according to Wikipedia, which I definitely remember, Zach. The comic was conceived by DC Comics co-publisher Jim Lee. <laughs> I just say story by Keith Giffen and Jim Lee. Maybe I don't know. I just for a long time just associated with Didio with this book. But yeah, I do see that Giffen was on there at one point. Oh okay. well, never mind. All right, guys, okay. hang on. We're we're having some fun with Wikipedia right now. What is Shaggy's first name? Norville. I did not know that. Look at you, Nor Norville either. Shaggy Rogers. Come on. Come on. Didn't know we had a Scooby Stan on the podcast. <laughs> guys, I've watched more Scooby Doo than I've read. Issues of Detective Comics. That's, I mean, same, actually. All right, Zach, I'm going to ask but. you this question then. I, I did know this one, but it never ceases to make me giggle. What's Scooby's full name? Uh, <laughs> Scoobert Dubertson? <laughs> it's Scoobert Do. I was going to say you're closer than you, yeah. than you think. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me, ask me some Scooby trivia. I'll, I'll, I'll lay it on you. Well, I'm just on the Scooby Apocalypse Wikipedia page, so let's see. Um, if we, oh, if we got into the 13 Ghosts of Scooby Doo, forget about it. Forget Vincent, about Vincent it. Price, uh, Vincent Van Gogh, played by Vincent Price. Wow. Flim Flam, you know Flim Flam? Sure. You don't, do no, you? I don't know. Damn, Wait, dude. Do you guys want to know something? What's that? I kind of liked this. Come on. <laughs> you just like the idea of Velma fucking Shaggy. Yeah. Yeah. Total total wish fulfillment there. Yeah. You um, and all and all you need for that is just to Google. Yeah. I think if you want to see I that. Think this is I think we did this the right way. I think reading just the final issue of Scooby Apocalypse and you were just dumped into this this world of, of nanites and that's zombies okay. and and Fred's a zombie, but he still has a soul and and he can love and can and he though? We don't really know. He, we don't really know. I don't know. Oh, his dick rotted off. <laughs> yeah. Um, this comic, a couple of places, it appears that Shaggy has no face. It's just <laughs> illustrated in a really weird way 
where his face just like collapses into his facial hair. (laughs) Also, Scooby-Doo can speak perfect English in this. He can. Mm -hmm. Did not expect that. So literally the only enjoyment that I got out of reading this. Can I guess? Sure. Scrappy sunglasses? No. Okay. The just the small realizations of what had gone on in the plot along the way that made it differ from from like Scooby Doo in the past. So like from like true Scooby lore. Yeah, from exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like like Zach said, that like the the one panel where uh Shaggy says get the hell away from my wife or whatever. And, <laughs> and you're like, okay, I guess, I guess Shaggy and Velma are married now or whatever. You're like just anytime you came across something that happened in the last 30 issues that you're realizing right then and there, <laughs> that was obviously some sort of, um, some sort of, there was some sort of gimmicky enjoyment that could be taken out of that. But sure. like the, the story itself, like, Oh my God, nanites! Like a story about about nanites, written by somebody who's like maybe heard the word nanite before. I feel like I'm making this up, but didn't J.M. DeMatteis write a cyborg story about nanites? Maybe or is that somebody maybe. else? Hey, look, DeMatteis is pretty woke. Look at the the naming con- convention of that baby. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's it's not even it's it's paternal dash maternal look at that like when does that ever happen when did that happen in his generation never (laughs) you're you're giving this book a lot more credit than it deserves i think but uh but but it's appreciated um no i just think like when when i see when i see a writer use nanites in a story i just think like okay they they couldn't think of anything better nanites can basically be anything nanites in fiction like can do or be anything yes. that the writer needs so whenever i see a writer base like the villain or the plot of something around nanites i just think okay you couldn't think of anything better you couldn't you didn't really have any real like inspiration to be working on this did you (laughs) you know it seems so lazy to me i would counter that and say if you're gonna do zombies it it is at least more interesting than like bacteria or a disease or a virus or something zombies zombies are just lazy too it's all zombies are very lazy oh they don't look how slow they are yeah (laughs) imagine wanting to imbibe another piece of media based around the idea of zombies. You do know that today AMC announced the third Walking Dead show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I'm I'm back to wanting to uh, hang myself now oh. because... I'm sorry. I woke up th- today and I uh, saw some... Yes. And I saw something online that, you know, it said something on CBR about, like, Fear the Walking Dead's fifth season. And I just thought, like, God, there's been five seasons. There's been five seasons of the Walking Dead spinoff. Yep. That's where we're at as a country. And now there's going to be a third one, you're telling me? Yep. Is I that can't... in addition to the movies? Yes. 
And supposedly, Kirkman, the, supposedly this is a female-led one because sisters are doing it for themselves. And by doing it for themselves, they mean killing zombies. Uh-huh. Um, Robert Kirkman's golden butt scratcher must feel really good that he needs to buy another one. <sighs> so, Zach, what you're saying is that you're going to go back and reread all of Scooby Apocalypse. No, I'm saying that we did this the right yeah. way. And I, was, I will never... Because I, I was going to say... That's some Patreon content right there. That is true, true Patreon content. Yes, you're right. I don't know if I could do it for all the Patreon money in the world. <laughs> uh, Name a oh, price. It's not I could high do enough. it. I could do it. There, there has to be 30 issues in the 1,000 issues of tech that are worse than the 36 issues here. Probably, yeah. Probably. There has to be. Probably, yeah. Plus, Shaggy fucks here. I mean, you don't get to see it, though. You get to see it. You don't know it. that. You don't know that. You get to see it on Google. <laughs> you want me to show you? <laughs> no. Please don't show me. Show him. <laughs> well, let's talk about what's coming out next week. Um, I have the list pulled up here. We got... What was that? The list. No, the list, yeah. Uh, we got American Carnage, number six. Aquaman, 47. Batman, number 69. Someone say nice. That's played. I know. That's why I was making a joke about it. Uh, I believe, I said this last time, I believe this is the final issue of Damage. <laughs> um... <laughs> Do we know that? No, we don't. Can we uh, confirm? We'll confirm on Friday when we get the PDFs. Okay, um, okay. I, I can confirm it is the final issue of Electric Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, high level number three, Justice League 22, uh, Lucifer number seven, uh, Naomi number four, Nightwing number 59, Pearl number eight. That'll go right to the Brian Bendis list. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you're saying that are going straight to list. Yeah. And uh, Teen Titans 29, which is the third part of the Terminus agenda. That's good. That is good. Overall, sounds a bit like a bit of a snoozer week, though. Yeah, I th- like this past week, I feel like it was very clear three of the books we were going to talk about, and the other two weeks sort of just you know, made some personal picks. I feel like with this week, I have no idea what the five books are going to be. Oh, Electric man, we Warriors. should start making predictions about what they're going to be. All right, well, let's do it right now. I, I'm going to no, guess... No, I don't... <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to guess Electric Warriors. I'm going to presume it's actually the last issue of Damage. So that's Damage, Electric Warriors, Justice League, Teen Titans, and Batman. We have Batman too. Yeah, we do. Batman as well. Yes, we do. Oh, weird. Yeah, it's weird. How did that happen? Because God is dead. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I actually agree with you. I'm confirming whether or not this is the end. Yeah, this is the end of damage. Is this the end of Zombie Shakespeare? That's a very obscure Simpsons reference right there. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Zach, where can folks find you 
tweeting about Shazam for the next few days? Um, oh, I probably won't do that, but they can find me at Wilker Fox. Um, but hey, speaking of The Simpsons, did you guys? I there is a tweet that I saw going around last week of the episode where um, where um, Skinner has chalmers over for roast and it burns and he gets the steam tams yeah 22 short films about springfield yeah yeah and it's set it's auto-tuned to the tune of basket case did you see it it's very bizarre yes (laughs) so surreal i recommend everyone watch it um you can find me on twitter at brian needs a nap and if you need to find vince Remember, he's following breadcrumbs to a Carly Rae Jepsen kissing booth and or a meet and greet with Father John it's, Misty. It's not – I'd I'd be more likely to go to the Father John Misty kissing booth. Okay. It's not, it's not sexual with and me and Carly. It's not. Not all kisses are sexual. I kiss my children every contract. night. That's true. I would, I would give her the kiss of respect for her talent. See? There you go. Yeah. That's right. If If she gave me consent. Yeah, of course. Of course. We're not presuming this. I'm not, I'm not even going to finish the sentence. We're just we're just going to go go home now. Good night, okay. everybody. It's a it's a Vince kissing booth that Carly Ray comes to of her own volition. Well, that would never happen. I'm too bashful. <laughs> <laughs> So why does it why is it revealed as if it's supposed to be like? Because it's not David Harper, host of the Sketch Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>